Good morning once again. I bring greetings in uh, the name of Jesus. And it's such a wonderful thing to be able to stand before the people of God once again after such a long gap, you know, to be able to hear the reaction uh, rather than staring at the screen. And you can see them smile, but you can't really hear them. You know, but I think it's, it's good that we can see some sort of response as we come along. So let me pray before we move this forward. Dear Lord, we want to commit this time unto you this morning once again. We pray that you will um, speak to us through your word powerfully so that we can uh, be uh, able to see what you have to teach us this morning. Use me as your instrument and let your word speak to us powerfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please keep your Bibles to the passage which has been read to us. And thank you, Debbie, once again for reading it so beautifully. Um, so as has been announced, um, you know, we are starting a three-week series on building back. What do we build back? And of course, we have three-part series on building back individuals, building back families, and building back the community of believers. And I think uh, we, uh, we can all agree that the last one year or so have been quite challenging for many of us in different ways. And that is the reason why we thought it is good to actually explore what are the ways to actually build back. Many of us are on the brink of falling off. And I've seen many people come and say that, you know, they are going through difficult times, not just in terms of economic issues because of job loss, but because of several other challenges, spiritual, emotional, intellectual, and other issues that we all face. So we're looking at uh, the first series, first part of this series, and we're looking at John 1, John 21, verse 1 to 9. And I have to retitle this as Rebuilding Lives in Jesus Christ. And the outline is pretty simple. Uh, emptiness without Jesus, the first three verses, and fullness with Jesus. And I must really appreciate people who have been joining us over Zoom. And uh, today, Nishant is helping us share the slides for those people on Zoom. And uh, the, sh the slides will be shared once, I mean, uh, you know, not, not all the time, but uh, once in a while where there are some important por portions. So please keep your Bibles open and let's look at the first part, um, emptiness without Jesus. Let me read the first two verses once again. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were there together. Now, you must agree with me that um, this is a list of interesting, I mean, interesting list of disciples. We are not sure why Jesus decided to appear to this set of disciples. Not all the disciples are here. And often when we read this chapter, chapter 21, we read it in, 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 in the context of post-resurrection because we often look at Peter, the re reinstatement of Peter as a central focus of this chapter. And of course, John, the legend of John that he will not die and all those things, which were you know, one of the rumors that happened after the resurrection because of these statements that Jesus made. But we're not going to focus so much on these two, but the whole of them. Now, let's first look at, um, you know, this list of disciples. It is very interesting that they are listed here. 
And if we look at them closely, we will also understand that all of them needed restoration. All of them needed rest, reaffirmation. All of them needed reestablishment, just as Peter needed it. First in the least, of course, is Simon Peter. And we often look at Simon Peter as the impulsive one, the temperamental, the one who speaks before thinking. And I think many of us are like him. And perhaps that is also the reason why he is a likable character because we can personify with him. But famously at this time of the narrative that John is telling us, he's having a burden in him. He is famously known for having denied Jesus three times on a night of the arrest of Jesus. And that's what we read in chapter 18. Swiftly as this narrative goes on, you can also imagine that Peter was going through battling depression. You can imagine him broken from inside, needing encouragement. Number two in the list is Thomas. Now, of course, again, Thomas, just before this in chapter 20, didn't believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And often we categorize him as the doubter, the doubting Thomas, because he didn't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Third in the list, Nathaniel. Nathaniel, again, unfortunately, is known for his skepticism. Remember in the first chapter when the calling of the disciples, you know, when Philip came to him and said, you know, we have found somebody, a prophet from Nazareth. And he exclaimed, saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The skepticism that is there. What about the sons of Zebedee in the fourth in the list? And of course, the sons of Zebedee are, the, are John and James. John, of course, as we all consider him the writer of this book. But if you read into them, you know, Mark 10 also points out about the fallible, uh, you know, character. You know, in this, in this chapter, Mark 10 records that you know, the mother of John and Zebedee came to him and they wanted both sides of Jesus to be seated on both sides of Jesus when they, he goes to glory. You know, they were actually, in that sense, very prideful. They wanted the better positions in the kingdom of God. Also, if you look at it, uh, you know, there is also a narrative in uh, Luke chapter 9, which tells us that when a Samaritan village refused to host Jesus and his disciples, these two brothers said, you know, call fire down from heaven and burn down the whole village. Look at these siblings, these brothers who are so arrogant and so unsympathetic. And then the last is mentioned as anonymous, other two disciples. And of course, there has been lots of debate. Who are these two disciples? Why has John not mentioned them? And I think, um, you know, you read through commentaries and most of the commentaries agrees that perhaps these were Andrew and Philip. What their most possible ones are because often these two disciples are often named together in the narratives of John also. Remember when Jesus was feeding the 5,000 in chapter six, it was Andrew and Philip that Jesus spoke to and they gave their own responses. We'll come to those responses as we go on. Also in chapter 12, when the Greeks came to talk to Jesus, to approach Jesus, it was a Philip and Andrew once again mentioned, and they were the ones spoken to by the Greeks as we come here. Also again, you know, in the, in the, in the, you know, in the first 
chapter also, both of them are mentioned and they have shared uh, personalities. Andrew went and called uh, Peter, Philip went and called Nathaniel. But more importantly, I think, you know, because the narrative here is about going back to fishing, these two are also fishermen. So it's most likely that these two characters, Philip and uh, Andrew, were the ones. But I think one of the things that would stand out about them is that when Jesus was feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6, as we read, what was Philip's response when Jesus said, how do we feed these people? Philip said, eight months' wages is not enough to feed them. He found the problem too big. Andrew, he said, we have only two fish and five loaves. He found whatever they have, the resources, too little. Now, here's a person, two, two fellows, similar personalities. One finds the problem too big. The other found the resources too little to feed the 5,000. Both of them couldn't see that Jesus was all-sufficient. Jesus was omnipotent, that Jesus was able to do things which people cannot imagine. But that brings us to a question. What about us today? Which of these disciples speaks about you? Which of these disciples do you identify with this morning? Maybe like Simon Peter, you have denied Jesus. When tough situation comes, you have turned your back on Jesus. What did Peter do? He said, I will stand by you. Even if everybody goes back, I will be there for you. But when the testing time came, Peter turned his back, denied Jesus. Perhaps the challenges of the last many months because of the pandemic has been so harsh on you that you've kind of laid back and denied Jesus, following Jesus. Because there is a cost to following Jesus. The Bible clearly tells us. Perhaps you know what is right. Peter knew what was right. Peter knew the right thing was to stand by Jesus as he saw, said he would. But he ended up doing something else. He knew what was right, but he ended up doing something else. And sometimes such kind of situation can cause us embarrassing moments. It can actually demoralize us. Or perhaps you have been like Thomas doubted the power of Jesus, doubted the power of God. Imagine this disciple walked, had done all sorts of things with Jesus for the last three years. But it looks like Thomas didn't learn a thing about how powerful Jesus can, that he has power over death. But again, before we judge too quickly, we perhaps also have been in the position of Thomas, we doubted if God would work something out of this serious situation, terrible situation that we're all going through. If anything wonderful can come out of something messy. What about Nathaniel? Maybe you have been skeptic of God's work in the world today. And yet, you know, even after reading about miracles, the surprises that Jesus gave, and also the kind of things that he has done. You know, we are still kept skeptic. If you look at Nathaniel's position, he was not quite wrong to be skeptic of anything that could come out of Nazareth, anything good come out of Nazareth. Because if you look at the context, Nazareth was the capital of the Galilean region. And because of its capital, the Roman capital, so 
because of its capital, it was morally very notorious. It was known for immorality, Nazareth. Just like any of our, you know, big town cities that are also known for immoralities. Nazareth, Nathaniel was not wrong. He said, he expresses skepticism what people actually thought about Nazareth. But perhaps there are questions in your mind today, more deeper, and you are skeptic of those things that we see or hear about God because you have not got some convincing answers. There is a sense of emptiness in you, which you are battling with. Or what about the sons of Zebedee? They wanted the best for themselves. They were so arrogant. They wanted the best positions in the kingdom of Jesus. And I'm sure, I think this is an easy trap for everyone. Thinking ourselves too highly of ourselves sometimes. We think we better deserve these things. We are, we are better than the others. We deserve such and such things. Or wanted to harm other people because they have not done things which is pleasing to you. Or you wanted to harm some people because they are unlike us. John and James, John and James wanted to let fire rain down from heaven. Destroy this Samaritan. Who are they? They are not Jewish. The prejudice was so high. Perhaps we are also filled with those kind of prejudice because we don't know what, uh, you know, what, what lies in store for us. What about the other two disciples, Andrew and Philip? Like I mentioned earlier that you either find the problem too big or you find that you have, what you have is too little. Often we forget that we have a God who is so powerful, all powerful, that he can change a good thing, I mean, bad thing into good. Which is your character today? And that's something which I want us to think through. And if you look at this narrative, verse three sums up beautifully about their emptiness. All these disciples were going through terrible moments in their life. Verse three says, I'm going out fishing, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So when they went out to go and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Peter obviously was the natural leader here. Once again, the bunch of failures, and yet he still is the leader. You know, there is this sense of, uh, you know, people desiring to follow him. Peter was the natural leader. But what happened when they went back to fishing? Now, these are a bunch of fishermen. They have been fishing their whole life, except the short time when they were with Jesus. Most of the time he was with ministry. But I'm sure even those ministry times, they were still fishing. They went back to do the thing what they were best known for, what they have been trained at. Unfortunately, they didn't succeed. What is the purpose here? The net was empty. There are two words I want to point out from this verse, which is very symbolic for us. First is the night. You see, the night, they say, for fishermen is the best time to fish because the night sea is calm and you can catch many. But what happened? They went to the best time. They didn't go to the sea at the worst time. They went to the best time and yet got nothing. Spiritually, it means that they are still groping in the night, the darkness, because the night is symbol of darkness. And the other word is nothing. Physically, they caught nothing. But spiritually too, they were empty. They were at night, not being able to do anything. 
They all needed restoration. They all needed reaffirmation. They all needed re regeneration. And it is this language which Paul, uh, sorry, uh, John uses. And as a student of literature, I think I'm so much into language being used here. The night that they caught nothing would be succeeded by something that would miraculous be miraculous to them. Look at what we see in verses four to nine. Early in the morning, verse four, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you seen any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. What a beautiful scene. You see, if you look at this, it is in the morning, it is dawn, a sharp contrast to what was before, the night. Because morning or dawn is the moment for light to, to, to be ushered in. Have you ever wondered why they responded to an unknown person? Because they have not known this person who this person is. Because it was in a later part when the fish was, a huge howl of fish was caught in the net that John recognized it was Jesus. But at this point of time, they don't know. It was this bunch of people who are trained fishermen. They knew where the fish would be, but they didn't catch. But here comes an unknown voice telling them to cast the net on the other side. Strangely, they obeyed. They don't know who this person is. They, he might be a fisherman, he might not be. In fact, he's not a fisherman, he was more of a carpenter. You see, if you, if you look at this narrative, it might have been quite embarrassing for the fishermen to admit their failures. And sometimes it can also be like that. When we are failing in our uh, you know, trained profession and we are pointed out about the failures, it can be uh, embarrassing. But I think the underlying principle is that this, that admitting your failure is a great sign of humility. They have admitted the failure. When they obeyed the voice of Jesus, the catch was full. They were unable to haul the net. If we look at this narrative, there is a dramatic twist of even here in the story. The whole night of emptiness was quickly succeeded by the morning of fullness. A whole night of emptiness was succeeded by, by the morning of fullness. When Jesus appeared, there was full. So what does this story teach us about today? Some important lessons for us, and uh, you'll also be projected here one by one. The first is that listening, to the, listening and obeying to the voice of God can turn our emptiness to fullness. And that's the first lesson I want us to take home. What would have happened, imagine this, if this trained fisherman refused to listen to the voice that was calling out to them from the distance? What if they felt insulted and said, who is he? We are the trained fishermen. What would have been? You see, in the later part from verses you know, seven onwards, when John recognized the voice of Jesus, suddenly something strikes him. Because even in the past, if you read Luke chapter five, this was 
sometime when the first disciples were called. Jesus did some another uh, similar um, uh, um, miracle. John was there. He witnessed it. There was another large catch of fish. So if you look at it, obedience to God, even in situations you don't understand, can lead us to a life of meaning. And we don't, if we don't understand, obey or listen, then I think we will still feel empty, meaningless. The second lesson, God does not abandon us, even in our failures, our weakness, but he always comes to our rescue in times of need. And I think this is a beautiful story that we see. Jesus did not abandon them because they have failed him. Three years they have been trained, and yet they have come out as failures, as doubters, as deniers, as, as skeptics, as people who are so arrogant, who think about only themselves, who couldn't see what he has been teaching them all this time. You see, if you look at the whole narrative, Jesus, not, Jesus did not appear to them just because he were this, I mean, uh, he, they were his disciples. But more importantly, more than his disciples, they all needed the restoration from their brokenness. And I'm sure all of them were weighed down by their shortcomings and their failures. They all needed a reassuring voice. They were weighed down by their past, a sense of feeling that, keeps haunting them. Thirdly, regardless of what you have done or where you've been, God wants us to come back and seek his forgiveness. Now, the last part of this narrative from verses nine to, uh, sorry, seven to nine, beautifully brings us this topic. Because Jesus called them over breakfast and they quietly jumped out of the boat and came and had breakfast with them. You see, offering them breakfast is Jesus' way of restoring them, reconciling them. And it is important for us to look at how this episode not only tells us about how the disciples were physically nourished to, they were physically filled, but they were more importantly, spiritually fed. If you look at the narratives that Jesus tells, Often the story of Jesus are filled where he actually uses something simple to tell of uh, a profound truth. He often uses um, something physical to teach, teach some of something uh, very deeply, profoundly spiritual. The breakfast, the fish and the bread that are there lying, waiting for the people there are the physical food that would nourish them. But more importantly, Jesus had to restore them back to where we are, where they were. So just, just to sum up again, I hope you're able to understand that this brief scene uh, from John 21, the first nine verses, teaches us about how sometimes life can be so empty, but that emptiness can be filled when Jesus comes to our sin. I'm sure many stages of our life at many times in the past, if not always, we have felt a sense of failure, of emptiness, of feeling that you have not quite, you know, done something worthwhile. And that is why we need rebuilding our lives, because we have been, you know, called to a greater purpose. You may have messed up your life. You have, may have done something which, which, uh, which has derailed your spiritual life. 
But I think that is where Jesus calls us to. We may feel spiritually dreary or empty, either because of some internal struggle or because of an external uh, situation. Whatever may be, I want you to be assured, and looking at this portion today, that God desires to have fellowship with us. Jesus went back, called these people to a fellowship, fellowship meal. And sometimes the God, I mean, the voice of God can also convict us of the shortfalls that we have on our part. And he may confront us with those things. What, we, what they needed, these disciples, what these disciples needed was the reassuring presence of Jesus. And I think sometimes that's what we also need. So quickly, I want, you to leave, I want to leave you with three questions for us to ponder over the week. Three questions for us to ponder. The first question is, what are your spiritual struggles at this point of time in your life? Which part of your life needs Jesus to fill you up? What are your spiritual struggles? I'm sure we have had lots of problems. Maybe your problem is about denying Jesus, doubting him, being skeptic of God's work in your life, being arrogant, prideful, self-centeredness. Or maybe you only see things from God's perspective. You forgot that you have an all-powerful God. What are your struggles? Secondly, where do you need God's intervention? Sometimes, you know, God's intervention can be in a form of disciplining because he wants to change us from bad to good. Sometimes we need the courage to admit our failures. You see, it's, it, is, it, is, it takes courage to be able to uh, humble ourselves before God and, and admit our sins, our failures. And sometimes God has to come directly to you to confront. That's what will happen with Peter. Peter had to admit, you are Messiah. The same thing happened to Thomas in chapter 20. When Jesus showed up only for Thomas, Thomas bowed down, fell before him and said, my Lord and my God. And I think sometimes when God brings us to a point of confrontation with our failures, our correct response should be worship. Admit that he knows what is in our life. The third question is, what sin is holding you back from approaching God and be reconciled? Now, this can be difficult because sometimes we don't definitely know what is it. I think when we come to a point like that, we need to pray. You see, the clue here with what that we see from uh, this small narrative is that the disciples approached Jesus, uh, as the disciple approached Jesus in that morning, you know, I'm sure they didn't know what to expect of Jesus. Would he be scolding back? Would he, would, would he be scolding them back for getting back into fishing and not going fishing men? What would have been the case? But in similar veins, I think when we, uh, you know, talk about building back our lives or rebuilding, you know, our individual selves, we need to also recognize that on our own, we are empty. But with Jesus, we can be full. 
these fishermen decided to go back on their own instinct, on their own best trained profession. But what was the result? Empty. Empty. But Jesus had to come and, 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 and fill them up with his presence. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine and you are the branches. And the last part of it says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And same thing again. I am the vine, you are the branches. If Jesus is the vine and we are the branches, we ought to stick on to him. The branch cannot survive on its own. It will wither and die. And that is why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. The same thing has been repeated here again. That's the bottom line for us, this, sermon, this message this morning. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Whatever may be, you know, the past, whatever has been confronting you in this stage of life, let me remind you once again that without Jesus, we cannot do anything. We will continue to grow up in the dark. We will continue to battle darkness. We will still be in the night of our life. We need Jesus to lead us into light because he is the light. May God continue to let his word speak to us and uh, make us whole, full in the presence of God. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning once again. We pray that you will enable us to recognize our failures, our weakness, and our struggles. And that, Lord, uh, we will be able to stand strong, live for you. Fill us with your presence day after day. And as we think about rebuilding our lives, building back to where you have called us to, help us to keep in pace with the presence of the living water. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.